0: Leia Healthcare, it's good to live. Proud sponsor of The Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry.
1: Welcome to The Real Health Podcast in association with Leia Healthcare with me, Carl Henry. Folks, on today's show, we're going to deal with a huge topic in Ireland 8 out of 10 people have been affected by anxiety, 44% reporting that it's of real concern to their health. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Sarah O'Neill, who's going to talk to us about anxiety, what it is, how to deal with it, and where to go for help. Sarah O'Neill,
0: welcome to The Real Health Podcast. Thank you for coming to the studio. Thank you so much for having me here today. How's things? Great, actually. Really good. And it's a Friday, so happy Friday. Fridays are good. <laughs> so
1: talk to us. Anxiety, huge issue in Ireland. Um across the country, it's not quite an epidemic, but it's getting worse.
0: Absolutely. It's growing across the Western world. You know, it's one of the most common mental health difficulties in Ireland and in developed societies generally. Mm. And I suppose when we're thinking about anxiety, it's important to kind of consider when anxiety becomes problematic because it is actually a natural and healthy response. So we need anxiety to help us perform in certain situations. Um, going into the first exam, a job interview. These type of situations, they provoke anxiety, and anxiety actually helps us perform in those situations.
1: Okay, so a little bit of anxiety can be a positive thing, a good thing. It can help you to run faster, yeah. uh, to perform better, yeah. Um Okay, so it's not necessarily a negative thing always.
0: No, in fact, it's a natural and healthy response. And actually, it's helped us survive like in an evolutionary perspective. So if you think about it, if you're going out and you're crossing the road and you suddenly notice a car coming towards you and it speeds up, The physiological response to that threat, the fight, flight or freeze response is what we sometimes call it, that enables for your body to kind of respond quite quickly. So some of the symptoms that we maybe experience when we're in a situation that's provoking anxiety, the racing heartbeat, you know, that's pumping the blood around your system all the quicker so that your muscles can respond. Your breathing might kind of become a little bit more rapid. Again, that's getting a little bit more oxygen into the system. There can be the side effects of that as well. So that can make us feel a little bit dizzy, maybe, or we've suddenly Find our mind is racing a little bit. All of this is our pre-programmed response to help him, help us escape from that threat. Okay, so it,
1: and people would have heard fight, fight or flight. It's the, I suppose the common phrase pe- people have, and that is anxiety. That's the the body's reaction to it.
0: Yeah. So that's the physiological process that's underlying it. When anxiety can become a little bit problematic is when there's no threat, but that physical response can kind of kick in. And that's when, you know, we could be sitting on a bus, we could be sitting in a meeting, doing just day to day life and we're physically safe. But suddenly this process starts off internally. And maybe if we imagine sitting there reading the paper and suddenly you're overwhelmed by the racing heartbeat and all those kind of physical symptoms, palms can go sweaty, mouth goes dry. Suddenly we're wondering what's going on and our minds are kind of created to try and figure out what's going on in that moment. And so they can start to kind of whirr and search for the reason and suddenly we're in this quite vicious cycle. And what can happen in that case is if the heart's going really strong. You suddenly start noticing and and drawing your attention onto your heartbeat and your mind's kind of going and it's all happening quite quickly. And that thought can come in, oh, I'm having a heart attack or kind of the worst case scenario is happening here, whatever that might be. And that can actually magnify the anxiety in that process up to a panic attack. Mm -hmm. So it starts off with that kind of physiological process. But then there's kind of the behavioral and the cognitive pieces that come in.
1: So basically, it, it's getting that fight or flight response in a normal environment. Yeah. So sitting at your desk, sitting at the bus, or sitting on the bus, uh, being at home, um, just being in a norm, being in a shop. Yeah. Um, and getting that same response. So the heart rate heart rate will increase. Yeah. Uh, sweaty, kind of palms, general kind of general kind of getting. Quite, Sweaty generally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nervousness, uh, what else?
0: Dry mouth. You can have that sense of kind of tension in your muscles across your system. Your mind can start kind of looking for the sources of threat. So it feels like you're kind of becoming quite overwhelmed. Vision can be slightly affected because physiologically, You know, your vision can become a little bit more acute to find that source of threat. Mm -hmm. But when that happens and it's not expected and you're in a safe place, that can be very overwhelming. Essentially, your body is preparing you to react quite quickly and it's looking after all of your core organs. So that's why maybe you start to lose kind of sensation in lower extremities. And it's preparing your body to respond fairly quickly, whatever that might be, to run away, to fight or to freeze. And if you think back long enough, if we're trying to avoid a bear, you know, that physiological process, that happening so quickly is really important. It enables us to survive.
1: I suppose a lot of our listeners may have experienced this in with white coat syndrome. Mm-hmm. Would that be true to say? In it, like a dentist's or a doctor's appointment, you know, where some people hate going to the, the dentist and they get all of those symptoms. So mm-hmm. they're environments that they're, they're still not quite normal environments. But they're environments where they would have experienced similar, sim, a similar feeling.
0: Absolutely, they're kind of anxiety-provoking situations, and there can be so many. Oh, different I like that ones. term. You like that's
1: good. Yeah, anxiety-provoking situations. That's that. Yeah, I like that. Oh yeah.
0: And you know, with that, like there are the ones that a lot of us will experience, like going to the dentist. Not many people enjoy it. In fact, I sometimes feel sorry for dentists. Could you imagine being a dentist and everybody that you see through the day doesn't want to be there? I've
1: yet to meet any person in life who enjoys going to the dentist. It's one of those things. It's like no, oh, oh god, no.
0: No. Exactly, you know but then we're all different as well so for some of us you know we can have been through a life experience that kind of makes something anxiety provoking for us so a really obvious one might be if we were attacked by a dog we might in future be quite cautious and fearful around dogs and if that escalates you know if you actually consider where dogs might be like in the park so if you want to go with your friends to the park with your kids to the park suddenly that may feel like something that you can no longer do and the anxiety can really escalate and if we kind of keep on going with that like even walking down a street you know certainly where I live there's always the dogs going around in the mornings and the evenings of people you know Um, and if that's anxiety provoking suddenly that can become quite debilitating Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the issue you know the triggers can be different for all of us sometimes it doesn't feel like there's a really clear or obvious trigger but we still experience these processes and when that occurs that can be quite confusing and overwhelming and that can really lead to escalated distress
1: okay so if you notice these symptoms and you can identify the situations that they happen Mm -hmm. so again it might be work or it might be in a certain public place or in a certain shop what are the ways of dealing with it Um, What are the ways of improving your response to that situation or are there ways?
0: Yeah, there absolutely are. You know, and that's really important to know. Um, First off is to maybe understand a little bit of what's going on. And it's kind of like, you know, searching Google. You've got to be really careful about where you find your information. (laughs) Google Doc. (laughs) Google Doc is never good. (laughs) Google Doc can sometimes bring up. Yeah, the worst case. Right. (laughs) But if you look for kind of a reputable source and there are some really good kind of sources of information, websites, you know, books available out there that can really explain the different processes. And what we're talking about mostly is that kind of physiological process of around anxiety. But there can also be like social anxiety would be a a significant issue Mm -hmm. that people would struggle with. And that can be where a social situation brings up that kind of that same anxious response though the physiological piece may not be as strong. But certainly we'll find ourselves in that kind of dynamic of, I want to do this thing, give that presentation and work, go to that party with friends. But there may be a part of us that's kind of quite anxious about that, worrying about how we'll perform, what people will think of us, the judgments people might make about us. And again, that can be a reason to maybe not engage with that. And then we get the second piece of that, which is that kind of disappointment. I really wanted to do that. It was a relief to avoid Mm -hmm. it, but now I'm really disappointed I didn't. So that vicious cycle can kind of spiral further so in terms of what we can do understanding is really helpful as a first step okay
1: so for the first thing is to understand where it happens yeah and identify that
0: yeah and understand what that process is like for you so does it start off with the physical or does it start off with kind of the thoughts coming in of oh i don't feel good enough i don't feel comfortable in this situation which again can kind of spiral
1: okay so it's 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 very much reflection yeah you're reflecting on the situation where it happens and what happens when you when when you feel almost that panic attack or that anxiety coming on Absolutely. and identifying exactly what happens for you.
0: Absolutely. So that's the first step. Okay. And the second step in that I'd suggest is kind of it's very natural for us all to not want to be in those situations where we get overwhelmed by this like it's very distressing at times and it's really draining to experience anxiety at that level. And so it's human nature let's not do that. Let's not put ourselves in those situations. But that avoidance can sometimes reinforce the anxiety Mm. because we essentially learn, oh, if I had done that, the worst might have happened. So thank gosh I didn't, you know? And suddenly that can make the next time that situation comes around even more difficult. Of if you
1: run from it, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, presumably.
0: Absolutely. And so the avoidance can occur like in a blanket, kind of, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna put myself in that situation. But avoidance can also happen in the types of escapes behavior is what we call them. So you say, okay, I'm gonna do that but I'm going to be really clear about how I get out of that situation. So I might be go for 20 minutes and then I just bolt. And sometimes that bolting, that getting out of that situation, again, very understandable because we're overwhelmed by those feelings of anxiety, which are really distressing at times. But again, when we escape from the situation or we avoid it, we again can kind of reinforce the anxiety. So if I hadn't escaped, the worst would have happened. So avoidance is really important to understand in that way. Avoidance can also be important to understand in terms of the underlying issues. So as I mentioned earlier, sometimes there isn't a clear trigger. There isn't a clear kind of reason why this is coming up for us. But maybe some things have happened in our life experience. You know, unfortunately, bad things do happen. That can be kind of traumatic events. It can be an ongoing stress or worry at the moment that we're finding difficult to engage with. Mm And so if we're kind of avoiding that, we may be focusing in other places in life and anxiety can be coming up and we don't understand where that anxiety is coming from. And sometimes it can be related to an underlying cause. So it might be that kind of emotional avoidance as well that's a trigger. Okay, and talk
1: to me about the the impact of, of modern day life on anxiety so phones phones particularly i'm fascinated by phones because people and myself included uh, are so attached to them yeah they're like your best friend because they have like you know they, they they've got your text messages they've got your phone numbers they've got your friends on the photographs it's all there in, in, in the palm of your hand and the addiction to phones presumably has led to an increase in anxiety or has it
0: Uh, There's definitely correlations. Causation is a different thing when we're looking at research. But absolutely, you know, modern life has some characteristics to it that can affect how we kind of feel within ourselves and how we engage in life. So phones absolutely like there's the blue light piece which can affect our sleep. um, And if sleep is affected, then we can find ourselves feeling a little bit more emotionally vulnerable so that can bring up anxiety or maybe if our mood is more predisposed to become impacted, it can lead to those kind of difficulties. But also with phones, what I think is really interesting as a psychologist is that kind of difference between who we are and how we present ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's usually in that space, like if how we present ourselves to the world is this kind of perfect picture and who we are when we're sitting at home on the couch on our own is a totally different person. If that gap is quite far, that's where distress can come up, if you like, because then we feel like we have to keep this mask or this facade up. And there's a lot of effort that goes into that. And so for some people, that can be a really significant cause of distress. And the other thing is we know that you know we're social animals pe- as people. And so having a sense of connection to others, be it friendships, you know, partners, spouses, family, kids, like we get really nourished by those relationships. And one of the things we all know with phones is they kind of distract us from that. Mm-hmm. We can be sitting there having a conversation and not actually looking at each other or talking, you know. And so, yeah, phones have kind of many different ways in which they affect how we feel within ourselves and how we engage with others and the world around us.
1: I love the idea that it's a very kind of frank statement, but the, the the presentation of perfection in your online persona and if the if if that isn't necessarily true, which in my own opinion with a lot of the the influencer generation isn't, I think it's a lot of it's Made to look brilliant but not necessarily the case that if you're at home and you're not as that person that you present yourself to be that the bigger that gap the more likely you are to have anxiety and anxiety uh, anxio- anxious issues i'm fascinated by that i think that's really interesting
0: yeah because it's it, b- before so it, for people who remember the time before internet and phones and everything else there was always that distance like how we present ourselves to other people in different situations there's always going to be a bit of a gap In work, we try and present ourselves in one way. In our friendships, we try to present ourselves another way. So there is always a bit of that kind of distance. Phones and technology have really enabled that to kind of explode, you know? Um, So I I totally agree. There is that kind of, that facade, I suppose, and phones and technology really enable us to present ourselves in that way. Yeah,
1: so present yourselves as much as possible as you are. Yeah. And the more you do that, the less likely you are to to be impacted by it. So first things first is to analyze Reflect a little bit on the situations, on the feelings that you get. In terms of uh, dealing with that is, for example, going to see a psychologist, something that's highly recommended. Because as people, I think, Ireland, we're getting better Mm. at talking about it. Um, women are generally brilliant at it. Men are generally terrible, I think. You'll know better maybe from the research, but that's my own perception of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely there's always been a kind of historical thing that men have found it more difficult to talk. And, you know, the Irishman, um, there's always been that kind of label out there and those assumptions. But actually things are really changing. Okay, good. Like so there's still those tendencies for sure. Women are far more likely to go see a GP, to go see a mental health professional. It's just the way of the world. But increasingly, men are increasingly open to talk about their feelings. And we know that men have struggled with some significant mental health difficulties. When we look at suicide rates, you know, men are more likely to die by suicide than women are. So it's really important that this conversation is evolving for both the OK,
1: so once you've analysed the situation and the feelings, the next step is talking. So talk to your siblings, talk to your friends, talk to your colleagues, talk to your HR manager, talk to somebody.
0: Anyone you trust in life. You know, and and that initial conversation can be so helpful. Um, it 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 allows us to kind of take a little bit of the weight of how we're feeling away and it can challenge some of the shame or stigma that we can feel because a lot of us now will feel like maybe stigma is an issue in society. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people feel like actually that conversation needs to change. Like recent research Leia did, 75 percent of people were saying the conversation needs to change around mental health. But it can be so different when we're the person going through it. You know, it's okay for other people to experience distress, but it's not okay for me. And that can be a really big barrier in terms of sharing how we're feeling, because maybe we have kind of internalised some of that stigma and we are labelling ourselves as whatever, maybe weak, not good enough, that we shouldn't feel this way in some way. So by having that initial conversation, it takes some of the weight out of us. Um, it can be really helpful and positive to just have somebody there who understands what's going on, who we can be honest with and that person. I mean, if somebody decides to share with you that they're going through a tough time, I know like uh, even in training as a psychologist, one of the things you address quite early on is not rushing in to fix everything, mm-hmm. just sitting back and listening and being able to hear what is going on for somebody is a really important first step. If the anxiety hasn't got to a point where it's really impacting how your day to day functioning is going, it might be helpful just to kind of understand the cycle and that understanding can be quite empowering to address it in a different way. If a friend or somebody you trust knows what's going on, they maybe will be checking in with you, you know, being an ally in certain situations to kind of help you. But we know from research that there is a minority of people who will feel that they can't talk to people in their lives. And we also know that there's some people who will develop that understanding, who will try and address the anxiety, but they don't feel that brings about kind of a relief from it. And so in those situations, talking to a health professional is a really important step.
1: OK, so start with your, your own circle. And if you don't feel comfortable talking to someone with your own circle, talk outside of it. Absolutely. And that's where a psychologist or a counsellor maybe comes into it.
0: Yeah. Um, EGP, nurse, you know, any healthcare professional should be able to refer or recommend appropriate treatment pathways, um, but in the in the community you can self-present to a psychologist or a psychotherapist working in private practice or a counsellor, um, and a lot of people will have access to maybe EAP programs in work, Leia Healthcare have the 24-7 mental wellbeing support program, so there's support services available. And I would just encourage people to continue talking until they feel they're getting some sort of support that meets their needs. Because that's a really important piece to address.
1: So let's talk anxiety in the workplace then. Yeah. Really common, one would imagine. We spend so much of our time there um what can companies do to improve that for their staff or to manage it better for their staff are there certain ways that they can do that or certain uh, kind of you know, things they should be doing
0: yeah i mean there's there's a whole dialogue around health and wellness in the workplace that's kind of evolving over recent years and, and it's great to see that happening because that's i suppose employers recognizing that mental health difficulties do and in- you know, they impact their mm-hmm. team and this isn't necessarily about people who are out of the work, you know, who are out of the workplace and absent f- because of mental health difficulties, but it's also recognizing that if we're anxious or if we're stressed out or our mood slightly impacted, we may still be going to work on a daily basis, but we may, may not be kind of engaging in work in the way that we previously had. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally at the moment, you know, Companies may have health and wellness kind of calendars in place where they're developing education around mental health difficulties. They're having seminars or webinars on site. You know, it's trying to kind of create a context in which we're all developing our understanding, Mm -hmm. whether we're affected by it or not. So
1: it's 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 worked. The group of employees, not specifics. Get everyone together, um, educate everybody together and try to improve the group together as opposed to, you know, individuals. Absolutely,
0: because there's no harm in having this understanding. Nobody knows when these things will come up for us. So it's, it's, it is it's really helpful just to develop that understanding generally. Usually then employers will have the kind of next line in place, which is providing one-to-one support for that individual. So that can be, you know, historically EAP programmes where you can speak to a counsellor and maybe engage in short-term therapy with some EAP programs as well so that can be a really helpful next step and I suppose when it comes to work as well you know one of the factors that can bring about anxiety in the workplace can be the kind of occupational psychosocial risks is what they call it Um, and that can be aspects of the job which maybe um, have an impact on our mental health because for example the level of demands that come to us from work overwhelm our resources that we have available to respond to those demands so if you're getting emails up until 11 o'clock at night and you've got a massive project that you have to conclude by the end of the week as well and you're struggling to kind of deal with all of those demands that can be stressful and stress undermines our resilience and that can bring up anxiety or depression over time. Mm -hmm. So stress is kind of like anxiety. Short term, it can be really helpful. It helps us kind of respond to a challenge. But long term, it can become kind of chronic and that can become debilitating okay
1: folks you're listening to the real health podcast in association with Leia healthcare with me carl henry today's episode is all about anxiety a huge issue in ireland and how we can deal with that how we can improve it um and what you can do if you're listening in and you have it uh, hopefully you're going to pick up some tips to improve how you deal with it and maybe to get to talk a little bit more about it um at this part of the show i always get our guests to give me tips i love tips because i can get tips for our listeners and that's one of the reasons they enjoy the show okay and we look for like a top five so i'm going to pick on you now and ask you for your top five tips for anyone listening in who is dealing with anxiety. We've covered a few of them possibly, but it's always nice to
0: review them as well. Yeah. Um, what are your top five? Top five. First off, develop understanding and awareness. Check in with yourself as part of that as well. Okay. You know, when life is busy, we can go of and be pushing ourselves, pushing ourselves. And we never have a chance to really notice that actually I'm not doing that well at the moment. I've been struggling for a little while and maybe I should be doing something about it. So prioritizing ourselves. Okay, so
1: put, put aside a little bit of time for yourself And check in with how you're doing Yeah And the different kind of components of your life
0: Absolutely Okay Understand what anxiety can look like And what that brings up for us Part of that can be understanding the role of avoidance Or escape within that As it reinforces the spiral So if you understand those pieces It can empower you to respond Or deal with the anxiety in a slightly different way
1: So if you're running from something Don't keep running Yeah Look at it yeah. And don't be afraid to look at it and kind of investigate a little bit in terms of how you feel and why you feel that way.
0: Absolutely. And it's kind of like if you're if you're training for a marathon, right, you don't start off doing your kind of 40 K plus. You start off doing those really small steps. And so if you've been dealing with anxiety for a little while, the first steps might look quite small to somebody from the outside, but they might be quite big to you. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing those things to acknowledge the success of doing it, to not minimize those things and to really kind of take care of yourself as you engage with this kind of tackling of avoidance, I'd say that's a really important one. Okay,
1: great. Okay, that, that's two.
0: Um, in terms of the physiological reaction that we have, so, of course, if it's, you know, avoiding that life-threatening situation, it's going to be intense. But sometimes when anxiety is a slightly lower level, we have those feelings. We have the racing heart, the, <coughs> sorry, the racing thoughts, the sweaty palms, the dry mouth, all of those physiological reactions. Actually, that's quite close to how we feel when we're excited about something. And so to try and reframe that, to try and see those initial anxiety symptoms as not something that are really dangerous and terrifying and scary, which they can be, mm. but to try and acknowledge them as, well, actually, this means I have something to work on here. You know, it's kind of like when you're running and when you're kind of hitting that wall yeah. to acknowledge when you're hitting the wall, if you keep on going through it, that's where success happens or that's where kind of you start to evolve and change in a positive way. Yeah, so it's,
1: it's flipping back as a, a pessimistic outlook to a more optimistic outlook. Yeah. And it's you know, flipping how you how you view the scenario and view the situation.
0: Absolutely. That okay. can be really empowering as well. Um, self-care comes into this. <laughs> so we all know the relationship between exercise and mental well-being, diet and nutrition, mental well-being. One of the things that I sometimes think can get lost within the kind of self-care dialogue is emotional self-care. How do we look after ourselves in that kind of fluffy emotional space at times? And so that is, you know, what we've been talking about, taking the time to check in with yourself, kind of um, knowing that there will be some things in life that are really important for us. I sometimes refer to it as our scaffolding. So for some people, it's going to that yoga class once a week and making sure you're catching up with friends at the weekends and making sure your diet and your sleep is good for the rest of the week, you know, but everybody's recipe is different. And a really helpful acronym sometimes to think of is BASE, BACE, Okay. So B is body. You know, if I'm feeling sick, am I going to the GP? Am I checking in around that? Body can also be exercise. You know, am I looking after myself physically? And of course,
1: exercise for anxiety is a really good way of dealing with it.
0: Absolutely. It can be a really important release for people as well. And the endorphins and the physiological response is really helpful for our mental well-being generally. Okay. So B, body care, looking after yourself. A is the sense of achievement. And again, this doesn't have to be some kind of personal outstanding achievement just on a daily basis, even if it's like getting through the laundry and getting sorted for a day two and day three of the week or, you know, doing something that we've been putting off for a while. If that's a sense of achievement, fantastic. Yeah, great. See community or connection. So what we know about people is we're social animals. So feeling connected to other people can be really important and nourishing for us all. That can be having a chat with a friend. It can be phoning mum in the evening. It can be, you know, whatever that looks mm-hmm. like for you. But having that time and, and recognising on a daily basis, that's going to be important for us. Okay. And the last one is enjoyment. Have to have fun in life. Of course. Yeah, and whatever that looks like for you, you know, everybody's different again. Maybe it's going out and having a great night out with friends. But for other people, it can be sitting at home reading the book. It, you know, We're all so different, Carl, but it is about figuring out in that, what recipe works for us, and recognizing as well that when life gets busy, sometimes they're the first things that we let slip. But if that's the scaffolding that's really important to us, we shouldn't let it slip for too long.
1: I've never heard the base one before. I like that. That's yeah. really cool. So it's a um, B for body.
0: Yeah.
1: A for achievement. Yeah. Uh, C for community.
0: Community connection. You know, just feeling community, connected. Communication. To yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And then E is enjoyment. Yeah. Listeners. I love that. Write that down. Put that down somewhere today that you can see it. So B-A-C-E. And spend a little bit of time looking at each kind of component of that jigsaw and see which you're lacking in maybe a little bit that, that you want to improve and use that maybe as one of your targets going forward.
0: 100%. That's cool. I like that. That could be really helpful. Yeah. yeah. That's very funky. Um, cool. Great to be able to share it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would say that's really important. Self-care as well. And then the, I suppose, the last piece, if, if we're going for five, I've lost count of this yeah, one. Yeah, five. Four, four down one more. <laughs> I would say stigma you know again there's like three quarters of the people in this country if not more are saying that stigma is still an issue and we need to change the conversation around mental health and it's one thing to say that that's the issue and it needs to change but the other part of that is taking personal responsibility for our role in that because we all are members of society whether we're affected by mental health difficulties or not and so just being a little bit more aware of the impact of our behavior, of our language, of our lack of understanding sometimes, because we all do from time to time. You know, psychologically, if we actually dealt with everything that we're assaulted with at a perceptual level daily, we'd be overwhelmed. So we have all these shortcuts that we use, they're heuristics, they're ways of kind of responding to things really quickly. And so, in those heuristics, in those shortcuts, we can kind of make judgments which may be adding to the discourse around stigma. So, we all have a role to be responsible around stigmatising language, Mm -hmm. stigmatising behaviour, how we treat other people. And also to know if we're going through a difficulty ourselves, we can really internalise that. So, it can be that sense of it's okay for other people not to be okay, but for me, that's unacceptable. To know that stigma exists and if we're all going to work together to challenge it, we all need to kind of educate ourselves and be self-aware and be open to what we see about ourselves. It's not great. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if you've heard of imbli- implicit bias training. It's this really interesting um uh, training where they're looking at those shortcuts and the assumptions and the judgments we wake there. And um, they do it around race, religion, mental health difficulties, like all of the things which maybe have prejudice mm-hmm. or discrimination around them in our society. And when you do these tasks, even if you consider yourself the most open, you know, um, non-stigmatizing, non-prejudicial person, you maybe actually learn that some of the shortcuts you make, there are implicit biases in those judgments. Wow. And so it can be really helpful to kind of be open to exploring that side of yourself because none of us like to see it, but we probably all do to a certain extent. Cool. So yeah, they'd be my five tips. Final question. Yeah. Uh, sometimes people can be
1: a little bit shy still about talking, yeah. whether it's within that circle or outside that circle. Uh, are there any websites people can go to that you would recommend if they want to visit websites or anything like that, or any kind of you know, um, places of information they can go? Obviously, their GP is a great starting point if they're very concerned. But
0: Absolutely. GP, you can self-refer to a psychologist or psychotherapist. And just to say that doesn't have to be kind of opening the door to lifetime therapy or, you know, going into areas of your life that you don't really want to go into at this point. It can be used as a kind of check-in. I'm doing this. I'm feeling like this. Is there anything that I should know, learn about this? In terms of websites and resources, um, so there's some really fantastic websites out there. Jigsaw, Spunout, um, Leia have you know great blogs online. Anything that's kind of evidence-based mm-hmm. would be a good place to start yeah. online. The Obviously, re- there's
1: lots that aren't evidence-based. So look for the evidence-based website. So Spunout.ie is a really good one. Yeah. Um, Lust for Life is probably Lust quite good. Lust for
0: Life of Fab. Um, Jigsaw is great for okay. kind of adolescence issues. There's, there are a number of sources out there. Mm-hmm. Also, the HSE, they did a, a drug pre- uh, a book prescription scheme where they were prescribing evidence-based books that were built for people, you know, normal people to be reading. They're not academic textbooks, but they have a really good resource. You can Google search for that online and you can find for each of the different difficulties we may go through in life, um, recommended texts or recommended books that may be really helpful for developing that understanding fantastic super sarah o'neill thank you so much
1: for coming into the real health podcast folks that's it for today's episode as ever you can email us any questions We've got lots of them coming in over the last few weeks we will do uh, a question episode very very soon i promise you because people always love them if you have any questions it's real health at independent.ie or you can check us out on twitter and on instagram at carl have a wonderful week i hope you enjoyed today's episode i'll talk to you next week
0: a healthcare it's good to live proud sponsor of the real health podcast with carl henry